Abolition.
2017 at the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March featuring Rebecca Hemsley, the late Rebecca Hemsley, attorney activist, uh, Ramona Africa of Move 9, Max Parthas, and Yusuf Salam of the Central Park Five. And that was followed by Prince, Stand Up and Be Strong, off of his new album. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archives podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms, and it is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. I am here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, and I'm feeling some kind of way, man. (laughs) You know, just hearing that song and remembering the day, August Mm -hmm. 19, 2017, and the amazing things that happened that day, the catalyst of much of what we're doing right now started at that point 
working with inmates on the inside who were organizing a nationwide prison slave labor work strike, the biggest in history, and also organizing for 20 cities across the country, including D.C., who all had marches and rallies. It was just amazing to see it like that. I think that was the that was the tipping point for for a lot of people. Absolutely. It seemed like just yesterday we were there. So it, it was just a great memory hearing uh, excerpts from that day. So last week yeah. we examined, as uh, Frederick Douglass said, you've seen how a man was made a slave. You'll see how a slave was made a man. And we revisited the Slavery Abolition Act of 1883, its historic legacy, and provided insight into the real reasons for the abolition of the triangle slave trade controlled demolition. We incorporated incredible music and poetry mixes to move the soul and body with tracks from Snoop Dogg, Slick Rick, The Poppy Family, Prince, The Untouchables, Kegel Soul, KL, and, and Mark SX. And finally, we heard the tale of Frederick Douglass's struggle with the slave breaker, Mr. Covey, at Mount Misery. So you definitely want to check out that if you missed out on last week's program. You can tune in to abolitiontoday.org, or again, you can go to any of the major podcast platforms. So a week before the August 28th March On for Voting Rights rallies, tonight we'll dig deeper into voter disenfranchisement. How, why, and who? Welcome to America, where you have to pay taxes but can't vote, where a single criminal conviction can turn you into a non-person with no rights or protections. We're also only a week away from the anniversary of the Abolished Slavery National Network. In a single year, we've made epic accomplishments never seen before in history. We've successfully changed three state constitutions to remove slavery exception clauses, organizing over 30 other states to do the same within the next four years, and introducing a joint federal amendment to counter the slavery exception clause of the 13th Amendment. For the first time since Reconstruction, Slavers have to defend slavery for everyone to see and hear, which they have done in Tennessee and Louisiana, where state senators publicly presented their defense for keeping slavery legal. Uh, ASN core leadership members will be speaking during the massive national uh, marches in D.C., California, and Texas. Dennis Feeble in Washington, D.C., Savannah Eldricks in Texan, uh, Texas, and along with Jamelia Land, Abolition Today's host, Max Parthas, and myself, yours truly, Yusuf, Yusuf Hassan, will speak in Sacramento, California. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. We count 10 million violations of the 15th Amendment against 10 million living citizens due to conditions of involuntary servitude. When is enough enough? This episode of Abolition Today begins that critical conversation. So before we start, Max, tell us about your week, brother. Well, there are dates that I do want to remember, and the week has is, is been pretty hectic. But, you know, we're coming up on the wire uh, with all these anniversaries. Uh, a couple of them I want to mention right away is, of course, it's the anniversary, 50th anniversary of George Jackson's assassination. Um that's the first thing. Also, of course, the August 19, 2017, Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington, uh, as mm-hmm. we heard in the opening track. And it's also the anniversary of the assassination of Kajami Powell, 
Kajami Powell martyred himself, and more people should be familiar with his story. But we'll share the video of the moment and how it happened and why he did it uh, on our page. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to take up too much time and tell the story. I just highly suggest that you go check it out so you can understand the sacrifice that this brother made, so uh, we can understand the circumstances that we face uh, right now. And as you mentioned, uh, we just passed the anniversary of the um, abolition of the triangle trade in 1834. Uh, so it's just so much, mm-hmm. man. It's so much. And I'm looking forward to the people that we're calling in today. We got a, a number of callers on the line. Please press one. Uh, if you have a question or comment, if I invited you to come in and speak today, that way we know it's you. Um, we have uh, people who just call in to listen and they don't want to talk, so they, their phone numbers are up there. But uh, press one so we know it's you. All right. I know at least three of them are going. You better know my damn name right. my heart, Max. Exactly. <laughs> and for those who've forgotten the number, they may be listening and want to call in. It's five one five six zero five nine eight one four. Make sure you press one on your dial so you can become in. And you can be added to the queue of those who want to speak. Well, I think I know one of these numbers by heart. So let's go ahead and start by opening up this line. Uh, three, four, five, three. You are live with us on Abolition Today. Hey, Brother Max and Brother Yusuf. It's so good to be back here. Um, for those who don't recognize my voice, uh, my name is Kamal Allen, uh, lead organizer with the Abolish Slavery National Network. It's so good to be here. Ah. My yes, brother sir, Kamal, brother Kamal, man. brother Kamal, great hearing your voice. Man. 52 weeks Good later, your voice too. a year ago, August 23rd, that we heralded the Abolish Slavery National Network's coming. <laughs> you know, like, here it comes, y'all. And here we are a year mm-hmm. later, and you already heard just some of the credentials that we've dropped. You know what I mean? Like, we've done much more than that. We've helped and participated mm-hmm. in changing the state name of Rhode Island from Rhode Island Plantations to just plain old Rhode Island. Uh, we helped mm-hmm. restore voting rights with Florida citizens um, and a number of other initiatives that we put our hands on and tried to push forward. And it, we would like, as a matter of fact, we had a show called The Midas Touch because everything we did <laughs> was successful. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. So, Kamal, uh, tell me, man, look back now. You, you the lead organizer for a year. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that. Man, this has been a worthwhile journey, you know. Um, so I, uh, just for the audience to know, um, I helped to lead the Abolish Slavery campaign in Colorado in 2018 through my work at Together Colorado. And when we were successful in um, passing this abolition amendment, um we got a lot of calls from folks who had been doing this for a while, folks who have been wanting to do this, um, you know, wanting to do this in their own states. And, you know, people who were already doing this in their own states, like Brother Dennis Febo was already on his way doing this. Brother Max and Brother Yusuf, y'all have been doing this since long before Colorado even um, dreamt of an initiative to abolish slavery. And other amazing organizers from around the country were beginning to take action or to ramp up their action on this very important issue. And so um, we decided that we would all get on a call together um, around, I would say it was like late May 
2020. It was around the time that George Floyd um, uh, was murdered by Derek Chauvin. Mm-hmm. And we got on the call. Initially, it was just to introduce ourselves and just to say, hey, this, I'm from I'm so-and-so and I'm from this state. And this is what we're doing. But we found over over the course of that meeting that 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 space was sacred. The voices at the table were sacred. And what we all collectively recognized was that there there was no organizing body in this country whose purpose was what we eventually put together after that day, which was the Abolish Slavery National Network. We decided to officially become um, an organization that is dedicated to making sure that we do this thing from every state and from the federal constitution. Man, from that day to the first August 28th kickoff to now has taught me so many valuable things about abolition and about us being a flagship organization on this issue. I'm not saying other organizations aren't taking leadership that far exceeds what we've done so far, but when it comes to taking the language out of the constitution and finding a uh, finding a pathway for what happens next, I would say that ASNN is absolutely taking the lead on that. And um, so many valuable things have, have happened. We've learned so many valuable things. We've come together as a team through our ups and our downs and, you know, recognizing the challenging road ahead. It's It has been a worthwhile journey is all I can say. Amen to that, brother. And I'm glad that we had the chance to walk next to you with that happening. We, all the way through everything, from even getting the fiscal sponsor, which is March On, who is – also hosting the March On for Your Voting Rights event that's coming up uh, this week where we'll be participating. Uh, we've been working side-by-side side with March On Foundation now for a year, and that's been a fulfilling relationship as well. Uh, and I believe that they're very proud of the accomplishments that collectively the ASNN has uh, achieved. And we haven't done it alone because, you know, we're just like the lead, the core leadership, right? But we're working with dozens and dozens of other people working just as hard right. as us. Um, their individual state constitutions and bringing all of that power together. Uh, So it's beautiful. We got another caller. Let me go ahead and bring them in next. Uh, 4711, you are here with us on Abolition Today. Well, good evening, gentlemen. It's Jamelia. How are you? (laughs) Hey. Hey. All right. (laughs) Sister Jamelia Land. uh, It's a family reunion. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Kamal. How are you? What's up, Jamelia? I'm good. How you doing? Trying not to melt in the California <laughs> yeah. heat and and trying not to black out from the smoke from the fires that uh, the California I, keeps putting our incarcerated firefighters out here to fight. I'm uh, appreciative of the way you're able to compartmentalize today, Jamelia. You know what I mean? So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're going to be spending some time together in the next week. Uh, you, myself, mm-hmm. Tribal Rain, Yusuf Hassan is going to be there uh, as well. And I've got a, a crap load of family out there. So you're going to be seeing a whole bunch of twins of me. 
I'm looking, I'm looking for it. I'm looking forward to it. They're all abolitionists, right? So we can, we're working on we it. We can kick off an abolitionist party. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we kick off an abolitionist party, no doubt about it, man. Uh, you just left uh, California, Kamal, right? Uh, yeah, I was in San Diego about two weeks ago. Awesome, man. Uh, so, Jamelia, let me go over to you. Tell us a little bit about what is happening next week with March on, because a lot of our program today is in support of that. Um, it's, you know, voter disenfranchisement, the efforts that we're making with an intention to reach out to those 100 million people who never actually vote and give them a real reason to vote. Uh, and March on is also fighting against uh, voter disenfranchisement by the GOP right now. So you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, thank you for asking, Max. Um, so as you know, uh, March on, we are a C3, C4 organization. Uh, we are actually the original founders of the Women's March. And this year, we have partnered with the Drum Major Institute, which was originally founded by MLK, now being run by his son, MLK III. Uh, so we partnered with Drum Major Institute, NAN, FBIU, um, as well as the Bible Slavery National Network. I want to give us a shout-out on that side of the house because we are also uh, official co-sponsors of the National movement that is happening around the country now. And so we are having five flagship, we have five flagship states that will be participating. Uh, That is Arizona, Texas, although D.C. is not its own state, it does not have statehood, Washington, D.C., Arizona, and the other one just completely, thank you. I was about to say, the other one just completely evaded my mind, right? Yeah, and so then we're also doing sister marches, and so I'm doing the sister march here in California. Uh, as of this morning, we had 485 people that are registered to attend, and uh, the numbers keep increasing. Um, and our this year is March on for Voting Rights, because as we see that there are voter suppression legislation that's popping up all over the country. Um, let's be, just be very frank and honest. A lot of it has been in direct response to the Republicans being upset that their orange chief of chiefing is no longer in the office. <laughs> yes, I called him the orange chief of chiefing. I don't know if that's a legitimate language Cheeto or not, chief. but I said it. Cheeto chief. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheeto chief. Uh, yeah, yeah, the tangerine tantrum. And so um, here in California, we are focusing on a few things for this specific March. Number one, we don't have some of the most uh, egregious type of uh, voter suppression laws that are that we're seeing pop up all over the country. But what we are dealing with here in California is um, we are dealing with recall. So our our governor mm-hmm. is is currently under recall. Um, we also have we have uh, people who are now newly enfranchised to be able to vote from the successful passage of Proposition 17 last year. And so uh, because we are also running ACA3, which, by the way, we go to appropriations this upcoming Friday. So we're really excited about that. Yes, yes, we're going to the Assembly Appropriation uh, this Friday. Um, And so 
you know, we, we've got a lot that's going on here, but ACA3 um, is also a part of what we're working on here and why it's so important for us to get people registered to vote, specifically um, the formerly incarcerated population, because ACA3 directly uh, impacts them at some, at some point in, in, their, uh, in their life and where they have dealt with incarceration. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a lot going on here. We're really excited about this march. Um, and one of the highlights of the march is that we are going to be celebrating the one-year anniversary of Abolish Slavery National Network. And as you heard from Kamal earlier, you know, it has been, uh, it's been an unprecedented year. And we have done some amazing work throughout the country. Um, and so, you know, it's going to be a celebration of, of a variety of different things. We're really just tapping into the people um, and getting them to understand how important it is. You know, as, as some of you know, we've, we've talked about this before. Um, unfortunately, when we start talking about civic engagement in our communities, very specifically within the, the African-American, uh, Latino, and lower-income demographics, we don't talk about civic engagement or voter registration or voter rights, usually unless it's a presidential election year. And for most of us, mm-hmm. it's like, like, you know, it's like, well, which of the lesser of the evils do we choose? But what we aren't educated on is our city, local, even down the school board elections, right? And how these right. these are the important parts of what's happening in the community. And so we have, uh, we have two, we have, exactly, we have two candidates that are uh, very progressive that are running for the district attorney seat uh, that are going to be out. We've got a couple of senators and assembly members and, and, and a host of other speakers that will be coming out. So we're excited and, and we're looking forward to it. I personally am looking forward to the 29th. Looking forward. Amen. The day after is always the best day. What you were saying as well, I would like to pass that over to Brother Kamal, because it is the anniversary of the Abolished Slavery National Network, and we do have something special lined up for everybody. You know, in addition to speaking at these major rallies on the anniversary of the March on Washington and the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King Jr., we'll be doing a, a live digital presentation for the Abolished Slavery National Network. You want to tell us a little bit about that, Kamal? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, so I just want to back up really quick. Um, we, as the Abolish Slavery National Network, we chose August 28th as our day of launch last year. And the reason why we chose August 28th was because it has, it has been and continues to be a historically significant day in black American history that on this day, Emmett Till was uh, lynched on August 28th. Um, Of course, the March on Washington of 1963 placed on August 28th. Hurricane Katrina made landfall on August 28th. And then Senator Barack Obama, later President Barack Obama, accepted the Democratic nomination for president on that day. And we chose August 28th to commemorate. Don't forget the abolition of the triangle trade, the triangle slave trade. That was August 28th as well. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. So we, we recognize this day as a sacred day and to pay homage to the ancestors that came before us and our elders who can still tell the story. We chose August 28th as a day of action. And as a, as a day to mark, this is when we make our public launch as 
as a national movement, as a national effort. And so um, in, com- in commemoration of that, uh, next week on August 28th at 2 o'clock Eastern time, we will be having a, um, a virtual gathering as the Abolish Slavery National Network. This will take place shortly after some of our ASNN speakers uh, speak at the uh, March for Our Voting Rights that um, Jamelia had uh, just now talked about. And so the goal of this um, virtual gathering is to celebrate, to celebrate a year's worth of accomplishment and to celebrate the, the work that people are doing on the ground, especially in the states, especially those who are working, um, uh, you know, from the experience of having been enslaved um, and folks who are their allies. And so um, this is going to be a, a really special day. So if, if you can tu- if you can tune into this, please go to the Abolish Slavery National Network Facebook page. Our um, uh, Facebook event is up. That's where you will receive regular updates about this event. I think you'll be streaming it from the YouTube page as well, right? We sure will. We sure will. I'm talking to our producer again tomorrow to work out some of the technical kinks. All right. Well, I appreciate that, man. What I want to do next is get into some of the history of voting uh, in regards to the Reconstruction Amendments, right? And, you know, we pride ourselves on music and poetry here at Abolition Today, so I got to throw in some music. So I want you guys to hang out with me. Uh, We're going to play this clip on the 15th Amendment historian Yohuru Williams, and it's going to be followed by Kiki Palmer's Actually Vote. Uh, And then we come back on the other side, we're going to get into some of this topic, all right? Uh, Remember, if you do call in and you want to speak, uh, press 1 on your keypad. The number is 515-605-9814. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. With Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, we're joined presently with Kamal Allen, lead organizer for the Abolish Slavery National Network, and Jamelia Land, co-author of ACA3, The Abolition Amendment in California, and board member for March on Foundation. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Hi, I'm Yuhuru Williams. I'm a professor of history, and here's what you need to know to sound smart about the 15th Amendment. The 15th Amendment is the last of the so-called Civil War Amendments, beginning with the 13th Amendment in 1865 and ending with the 15th Amendment in 1870. The three Civil War Amendments, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, all sought in their own ways to ensure equality for African Americans in the South after the Civil War. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. The 14th Amendment granted African Americans citizenship. The 15th Amendment outlawed discrimination in voting rights. Contrary to popular belief, the 15th Amendment does not grant the right to vote to anyone. It simply outlaws discrimination in voting based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Congress failed to provide enforcement for the amendment originally. Enforcement did not come until 1870 with the passage of the Enforcement Acts of 1870 and the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. Interestingly, the first state to ratify the 15th Amendment was Nevada in March of 1869. The last state to ratify the amendment, Tennessee in 1997. Although formally ratified in February of 1870, African Americans were still denied the right to vote by a variety of means by Southern states. These included things like the poll tax and literacy test. It would not be until the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that the majority of African Americans in the South 
were allowed to register to vote. surprise you, yeah, you might not have heard. There's a little something happening on November the 3rd. Everybody's posting, all political and woken, on your social, so outspoken. That tweet, but that tweet doesn't do enough for me. Mm. Young people like to talk that big talk. Young people are the biggest voting block. You can only make a change if you check that Palmer 
actually vote. You're back on Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, along with Kamal Allen of the Abolished Slavery National Network, and Jamelia Land, uh, co-author of the AC3 Amendment in uh, California, as well as a board member of the March, March On organization. So uh, I pose it to you, Jamelia, first. Uh, what do you think of uh, what we just heard? My apologies. Oh, sorry. No, uh, uh, no, I'm here. So uh, my apologies. I actually had sat the phone down for a few seconds. I was running in doing the mom thing. So I missed (laughs) some, but I did hear some of the music. So, you know, I want to be transparent. My apologies. No, we know. We know how busy you are. You have a lot of things going on. So no worries, sister. No worries. The historian kind of broke down the history of the 15th, 13th, 14th Amendments. Uh, he talked about the KK Act, KKK Act of 1871, and also mm-hmm. pointed out, you know, how some of the ways they stopped us from voting was through poll taxes, literacy tests. But he didn't mention a couple of other things like grandfather clauses. If your grandfather was a slave, um, you couldn't vote, and of course the exception clause, which once you were convicted of a crime, duly convicted of a crime, you were now right. state property and couldn't vote then either. Well, you know, one of the things that I find interesting uh, with all that is the uh, the psychological indoctrination that we as melanated people in this country have fallen into believing, right, that our vote doesn't count. Well, if our vote didn't count, they wouldn't be running around here historically trying to keep us from being able to vote and now more so, you know, blatant suppression. You know, and so I think that it's, it's important for people to recognize the history of our right to be able to vote in this country and why they are so significant and so important. Thank you. Thank you indeed. Uh, Brother Kamal, any commentary? Yeah. Um, you know, I when I think about the um, the attack on our voting rights, which – our voting rights have always been under attack. When we when we talk about from the very moment that we gained a right to vote, they had always been under attack. And um, when black men, specifically black men, got the constitutional right to vote, in that must have been 1880s, 1870s. Mm-hmm. 1870. 1870s. So what yes. we saw almost immediately after that were the you know the, uh, the 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 development of Jim Crow laws, but what went side by side with that, along with the Black Code laws, along with the beginning of Jim Crow, was the expansion of the prison industry. And this the loophole for the Thirteenth Amendment was used very specifically, very strategically, to stomp out voting rights for Black men who just gained the right to vote. Um, earlier, Brother Max, you had talked about Amendment 4 in Florida, which passed in 2018, um, was the um, amendment that granted voting rights to people who um, have felonies in uh, the state of Florida. And what we digging into the history there and even uh, to the present moment, that was used specifically as a voter suppression tool um, to gather as many black and brown people into um, uh, prison as they can, both for monetary gain 
for labor, but then also the suppression of voting rights. What we found was all the way up until um, uh, all the way up until 2018, what was it? One third of all black men in Florida could not vote. Uh, one in four. One in four. One yeah. in four of all black men in Florida could, did not have the the legal right to vote in the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. And so this was a very intentional um, mix of two of Jim Crow's, literally like two of Jim Crow's oldest institutions, the suppression of voting rights and prison. And so, um, and the vehicle to to bind the two of them together was the loophole of the 13th Amendment. So I'm I'm really glad that we're talking about this topic today. Oh, absolutely, brother. Um, And I do want to share some, information that I, I I've come to understand about the Reconstruction Acts. We know, first of all, the Reconstruction was a failure. It allowed them to re-enslave us. Uh, as authors, uh, like the one we quote very often, uh, which is Jay Mancini said that the only difference between slavery and convict leasing was with convict leasing, criminals were so, there were so many criminals that they were deemed as disposable. So they could just work them to death and get rid of them, and they did that. Uh, but there's some things that I want to point out about how the 13th Amendment itself negates both the 14th and the 15th Amendment. The cunning of these white supremacist slave owners was beyond belief, and the 13th Amendment's exception clause was not a one-and-done. This was how they did things, and I'm going to show you how that works. The 13th Amendment, which was the First Amendment, says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime where the party shall have been duly convicted. That turns citizens into property because it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, right? So now you're considered a slave, which means you're not a citizen. Section uh, Amendment, the 14th Amendment in Section 1 says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States are subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States of the state wherein they reside. Again, if you've been subject to the 13th Amendment, guess what? You're not a citizen. So you're mm-hmm. not, the 14th Amendment does not apply to you at this point. And then to move on to the 15th Amendment, once again, there's a couple sections here, but we'll stick with section one. The rights of citizens. That's the first four words right there. Guess what you're not if you have been convicted, duly convicted of a crime. You've lost your citizenship. You don't have any of those rights that are guaranteed to you. So this doesn't even apply to you, and that means that it's suppressing the vote of select groups of people based on previous conditions of servitude. So Section 15 says, or the 15th Amendment says, the rights of citizens uh, of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous conditions of servitude. If you've been turned into property, then isn't that previous conditions of servitude? And we count as much wow. as 10 million living violations right now. They say there's 6 million people who can't vote uh, due to felony disenfranchisements, and I believe that is underrepresented. It's probably as much as 8 million, but let's go with the 6 million. 
Then you have another 2.4 million who are in prison. Now you're up to almost 9 million. And then you've got 12 million a year who go in and out of the jails. And the majority of them are not even offered the opportunity to vote from inside those jails. So we're lowballing it, but we say 10 million violations that are alive right now. And all because of the 13th Amendment's exception clause. Uh, Yusuf, you want to comment on that? And then we'll pass to our guest. I just have one little uh, caveat that I wanted to add in there, and going into the fourteenth into the Fourteenth Amendment, you know, where they always find the loophole within it. It says no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So that's their way of linking it directly to the Thirteenth Amendment, where it says. Duly convicted? Well, mm-hmm. here it is where they talk about the due process of law, which we know the Sixth Amendment violations that go on that we've covered several times where there is no true due process. But that's their way of linking the 14th to the 13th, just with that one little phrase right there. That's all I wanted right. to add to that. Words are so powerful, which is why the ASNN exists. I'll go ahead and pass the mic over to you, uh, Kamal. Oh man, no, I, I I think what y'all are saying just really speaks to the point that um, uh, white supremacy is the most prolific and successful conspiracy that I think has ever existed. The meticulous planning that went into the the language that we're now fighting tooth and nail to unravel is really something to, when I say to marvel at, I don't mean to um, to celebrate, but just the, it's it's amazing when you when you see the scope of the fight that you're up against and how meticulously our, our enemies have planned for this. Um, no, I, I, I really couldn't have said any, what y'all just said any better. They call this spelling for a reason, uh, Sister Jamelia. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I uh, as I'm sitting here listening to you all talk, and um, in between breathing treatments because we got all these fires burning outside, and I'm thinking about all of the um, the incarcerated firefighters. Just recently here, <clears throat> just to show you how nasty white supremacy can be and mass incarceration and all these other things. Um, recently, California decided that it was going to renege on its commitment to its incarcerated firefighters. So they, they, incarcerated firefighters go into a contract that upon serving, you know, they'll have X amount of time reduced off of their sentences, um, and then they will be released. Well, last week I discovered that due to the, um, the extent of the wildfires that we have now, California has decided that it will not be releasing any inmate firefighters, um, and they're not, they're not sure when they're going to lift that. But apparently uh, preserving, preserving property, and, I, and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not saying that we should not be preserving property in life, but at the expense of uh, two-thirds of incarceration. Let that mm. sit in for a minute. Wait, can you repeat that, please? Two-thirds of firefighters in the state of California are incarcerated. I bet it's the same in Oregon, we, too. 
Mm. Yeah. And we are we are fighting massive wildfires right now. And, you know, what people aren't telling you is that we have loved ones that and we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And so we've got men and women out on the fire lines that are, are sacrificing their lives, that are breathing in all of this toxic air. They're not getting any additional pay. They're treated like shit, pardon my language, by non-inmate firefighters. When they get out, they can't get jobs. They're not respected. And God forbid something happens to you, um, you're just another number. So if that yeah, tree falls person. on you in the midst of a fire and you die, there's no, there's, there's nothing for your family. You were inmate number XYZ1234 on to the one next dies, one. One get another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so um, – you know, I, I tend to get real real emotional <laughs> when we start talking about some of these things because the digger we deep, the, the, the further we deep, or we dig, we realize how deep this thing really is. Um, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, for example, state of California, you know, uh, not only are we one of the largest carceral states in the union, but, you know, our incarceration uh, and, and the, the money that's generated off of it isn't going to private industry as much as people would think. California, the way that it is legally structured, California's governor is a slave owner. And I say that because we have the California Prison Industry Authority called CalPIA. CalPIA mm-hmm. is the CalPIA is the, the the big house. CalPIA runs all of the slave plantations within CDCR, so all of the factories, but they only make stuff for other government entities. So they only contract with the Department of Health and Human Services, Department of Transportation, uh, Department of Environmental Services, so forth and so on, right? The CalPIA's board is structured like a corporation. Its board has a chair. The chair is appointed by the governor. The chair is also the secretary of CDCR. She is the top warden. Then you have other members who are on the board, and they are appointed by different members within our state's legislature. So, you know, a senator may appoint one, an assembly member may appoint another. So it's all this real – it's a huge government entity. California is enslaving at a mass numbers its people – and the government is benefiting from it. That's the problem. To get back to the firefighters, though, I want to remind people, they're making as little as $2 a day and potentially one day off for each day. Uh, that they, I think it's one day off for each day that they're out there fighting a, a live fire. Uh, several people have died fighting fires who were incarcerated while doing so, and they were not uh, celebrated as heroes like firefighters. They didn't receive any benefits. They died as prisoners. Um, and they were replaced. And we've even showed video here you know, from our, our site where uh, it was smuggled out by the firefighters themselves to show the conditions that they put them in. So it was the height of COVID. They're fighting fires, and they're going to sleep in a tent with uh, half of them don't have masks on. It's filthy inside. They're not even allowed to wash the suit off. And there's two or three people coughing all around them. That's the conditions that they were fighting the fires in. So it's a terrible situation going on there. I want to give some more information on just how many states are affected by these civil death laws that steal people's rights. Uh, 
to the best of, of my understanding, at this point, there are eight states where you could lose your vote permanently for life, meaning you are no longer even a citizen until the day you die. Alabama, Arizona, Delaware, Iowa, Kentucky, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Wyoming. Remember, Tennessee was the one the brother mentioned didn't even uh, ratify the 13th Amendment until 1996. There are 16 states where your vote can be restored after prison, parole, and probation. That's Alaska, Arkansas, Georgia, Idaho, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, New Mexico, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. There's three states where your vote can be restored after prison and parole and paying fines, which is a poll tax, right? That's Florida, Connecticut, and Louisiana. 21 states you can have your vote restored after prison. Uh, California, Colorado, Hawaii, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Montana, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Dakota, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Utah, Virginia, and Washington. Now, that's the most up-to-date information that I have. If you needed to know if you were uh, formerly incarcerated and you don't know if you can vote or not, uh, you can always rewind. So you can hear what the status in your state is. We're going to need you to vote, particularly the formerly incarcerated, particularly the people who are affected by this system and the slave catchers who run it. This is our first opportunity in 157 years to really come out against this system of slavery. Come on. Oh, yes. And the, the one thing that I want to add to that is that currently in all 50 states, if you are currently incarcerated, you are not able to vote, and if you and when and upon your release, depending on which state you you're in, you you may or may not get that right. So I just wanted to add that um, the depth of voter disenfranchisement goes not just to the folks who were formerly incarcerated, but to the people who are still serving time inside of uh, uh, prisons. And so I just again I just gotta reiterate that. Um, these are Jim Crow's oldest and most prolific institutions. And, um, you know, they have real, real life consequences as what Jamelia was talking about. These aren't just, um, you know, just numbers and facts. But these are people. There's a human cost. There's a human cost. Like our, our, our loved ones are, are not just incarcerated, but enslaved. And, I know that all of us on this call right now have loved ones who are either currently serving time or who have served time. Right. And so we've seen, you know, what this does to a family. You know, the, the separation of family is real. That, that practice has never stopped from the, from the very moment that our ancestors were um, forced into this country, forced into chains and, and forced to work on sugarcane or tobacco or cotton plantations, we have been fighting tooth and nail to just simply sit in the presence of our loved ones. But these, these institutions, the ones that um, politically benefit others, are the ones that are hurting us still. You know, the fact that um, uh, people who are serving time in prison cannot vote, they'll be counted towards a certain um, gerrymandering. Uh, congressional exactly. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and, and the gerrymandering is used um, as a tool to, to strip even more political power away from us 
while they're stripping us of our families. And so the human toll and the political toll and the toll on our families have never been separated before, that, 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 it's, that it's all a part of a, of a catastrophe that, that sits on our shoulders every day. Absolutely. If I could, uh, if I could jump in, kind of piggyback off something um, when you were talking about, you know, people who are currently incarcerated and their ability to be able to vote. Uh, I don't know what it is in other states, but here in California, which most people don't know, is that if you are incarcerated in at the county jail level, you have not been convicted of a felony. You can vote, and you can vote from within the jail. But a lot of people don't know that. So we have massive numbers of people that are sitting in county jails waiting to go to trial, or they're there on, you know, something else, traffic violations, whatever it may be, and they have not been convicted of a felony. They can register to vote. And so something that we're doing here is that we're actually tapping in. Also in the state of California, you can pre-register to vote at the age of 16. So we've launched a campaign to start targeting the juvenile detention facilities for youth that are between 16 and 18 that do not have a felony record and pre-registering them to vote as well. So even though there are all of these things that that have been pitted against us, there are still loopholes that we need to be able to find so that we can we can educate our people and empower them. And then the the second thing is um, we I want to I want to I want to kind of share something with you all. So. Um, my husband recently sent me his inmate monthly time log. And as I go through it and I look at it and I think, uh, one, he's paid one of the highest rates within the facility, and the next, high, the next pay scale jump is actually firefighters, which goes up to that $2 minimum an hour. He makes $0.75 cents an hour. This is what his pay stub says, 160.50 hours. At $0.75 cents per hour, he made $120. Then they deducted 55% of that, which was $66 in restitution. He made a total of $54 for 160 hours of work combating COVID, blood spills, cleaning fecal matter from the walls, windows, doors, and more. And you spent more than that just in communication with him where they extorted your money. Just through. yesterday. Yeah. Just yesterday, my son called and said, Mom, I need to go to the store. He's able to go to what they call the store, commissary, one time a month. He can max spend $225. In order for him to have that full $225, I have to spend mm-hmm. at least $575, $580 because they take 55%. So the okay. families are paying as well. This is uh, one of the ways in which they keep their damn boots on people's necks, uh, you know, I've known families who have given up their rent money for uh, mm-hmm. expenditures for the people on the inside and had to lose their houses and things like that. But, you know, I want to get some more into, I want to play a little bit more music and hear a little bit more words on this from some of the artists that we have available for tonight. Um, and I also want to get into a conversation after that about... <laughs> The difference between felony disenfranchisement and civil death. Because personally, I don't mm. think there is civil death. Well, we'll get into that afterwards. 
So let's go ahead and play this uh, track. You guys are going to continue to hang out with us, right? Kamal and Jamil? Jamil? Uh, unfortunately, I, I have to get going pretty soon, I, but I will be listening into the conversation, but I, I do have uh, to get Should going. I give you a chance to say goodbye now or after the track? Um, hey, let me just say goodbye real quick. Um, All right. And it's not even a it's not even a goodbye. It's a so long for right now. <laughs> yeah, a few words, a few words for the audience. Um, so I just I just want to remind everybody that um, well for for one to say thank you, uh, brother Max, brother Yusuf, sister Jamelia. It is always so good to hear your voice, and um, likewise. Uh, Max and Yusuf, thank you for hosting this every week. That this is vital information. This is the information that's needed to make sure that we once and for all abolish slavery. And I just want to remind everybody that no matter how hard this fight gets, and it has gotten hard and it will get harder, is mm-hmm. that we have the ability to defeat this thing. We do. And the reason why I know that we do was because our ancestors have climbed mountains that are much taller than this and that we are much taller than this. So with that being said, you know, just, just keep the fire in your hearts. Keep your, um, you know, keep, keep your eyes on the prize, and we're going to get this thing. Amen. Thank you very much, brother. And uh, thank you, brother. Thank you for to listen. Um, we got a hell of a program uh, laid out for everybody tonight. All right. Jamelia says she's currently handling something as well, so she'll nope, probably catch nope, us on the nope. other side. I'm hanging out. I'm hanging <laughs> oh, you out. Gotta hang out? All right. I'm hanging out. Awesome. I'm hanging awesome. out. Okay. So let's go ahead and get into some poetry and music real quick. Uh, we're going to play the poet Susan Baraka, and she tells the truth about voting. That's the title, tells the truth about voting. And then it's going to be followed by uh, a Millions of Prisoners Human Rights March PSA from 2017 to Abolition Today, org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. How do I write a poem about voting without talking about black bodies? Like, black bodies ain't the people I love. Like, Trayvon don't remind me of my nephews. Like, Sandra don't remind me of my sister. Like, George don't remind me of my daddy. Like, Elijah don't remind me of me. An introvert and different and unbelievably f***ing strong. Like, being Korean and black during coronavirus in Trump's America don't make me want to burn it all down. How do I write a poem about voting? When Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. When over 5,460 children have been separated from their parents at the border, when children are being tear gassed, when children are being tear gassed during the pandemic of a respiratory disease, when children are being tear gassed during the pandemic of a respiratory disease for protesting the murder of a black man by a white police officer via asphyxiation, how do I write a poem about voting? Like the war on drugs didn't lead to black fathers being ripped from black babies, Like the war on drugs didn't lead to black bodies being stopped, being frisked, like it don't matter if blacks live, like the war on drugs didn't lead to one in 13 black Americans losing their right to vote due to a felony conviction. That was 2016, the same same year as Trump's election. I said one in 13 black Americans without a vote. The same year as Trump's election. 
How do I write a poem about voting? When I'm sitting here filling out applications, current situation, my mother relies on me to help her save her Korean barbecue restaurant in New Jersey. She does not understand that this country doesn't care about either one of us or our survival. All she knows is that Shake Shack got $10 million and how come she hasn't gotten anything yet? I tell her what the SBA representative told me, that we filled out the application too early, just before quarantine when Asian businesses were already struggling because of the virus. They streamlined it since then and threw out our application without telling us. There's nothing left for businesses like ours. I write a poem about voting because I've applied for the NJEDA, the PPP, the EIDL of the SBA, and I'm looking for the words to say, I don't know how to help you, Mom. I don't know how to help you, Dad. I don't know how to help Trayvon. I don't know how to help Oscar Grant. I don't know how to help Brianna, Dominique, or Tony. But here I am writing a poem about voting because I know that between 2012 and 2018, over 1.4 million voter registrations were canceled with 700,000 canceled on a single night in July. And that's just Georgia. I write a poem about voting because I know that in 2017, 99 bills to limit access to the ballot have been introduced in 31 of these here United States. And I'm looking for the words to say, if our vote wasn't important, why the f are they working so hard to take it away? Vote because you wanna make facts facts again. Vote because the first step to co-opting a system is engaging in it. Just ask the FBI, the CIA, Justice Roberts, and Brian Kemp. Vote because when you're standing in the voting booth trying to decide between Tweedle Duh and Tweedle D, you'll ask yourself why there isn't a better choice. Vote because when they try to dismantle our bodies from our breath, we gotta use our voice. There's a worldwide revolution going on. And in my opinion, young generation of white, black, brown, whatever else there is, you're living at a time of extremism, a time of revolution. What is it revolting against? The power structure. The American power structure? No. The French power structure? No. The English power structure? No. Then what power structure? An international Western power structure. And I, for one, will join in with anyone. Don't care what color you are as long as you want to change this miserable condition that exists on this earth. There's got to be a change. People in power have misused it, and now there has to be a change, and a better world has to be built, and the only way it's going to be built is with extreme methods. So what you and I have got to do is get involved. You and I have to be right there breathing down their throat. Every time they look over their shoulder, we want them to see us. What's those intentions are made known. We can get to the nitty-gritty of the problem. We can get to the core of the problem. We can get to the root of the problem. And then we can correct the problem. Abolition. 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 You just heard the poet Susan Baraka telling the truth about voting. And that was very powerful, and that was followed by the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March public service announcement. You know, uh, so much was said just in that little short clip. Uh, Sister Jamelia, of course, I'll pass the mic to you first as well. Okay. 
okay, maybe she had to take a call or something. Max? Um, yeah, well, you know, I'm a spoken word artist. I love poets when they break it down. Poets, <laughs> I mean, you want to learn the truth about the soul of a nation, listen to its poets. Uh, we ain't got nothing to gain from lying, <laughs> you know? Mm, uh, and she broke right. it down very powerfully. And, of, of course, Company with the Millions of Prisoners Human Rights March, PSA with Brother Malcolm X, uh, really saying, you know, if you know what the problem is, then you got to go after it. And that's what we're doing right now. We're going for the root of all of the issues that we deal with. Uh, this is an ancient problem. It's not a new problem. It's a, the same problem repackaged, just as Frederick Douglass warned us that slavery will have, has had many names and will have many more names. And we ought to just uh, really pay attention to what new name this old uh, snake comes forth with. And that's what we're here doing right now, uh, which is why I was talking about the civil death. That traces all the way back to ancient Greece. And it's an Anglo-Saxon ideology that was brought to America. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this is how it's described. With living men regarded as dead, dead men returning to life, and the same man considered alive for one purpose, but dead for another. The realm of legal fiction acquires a touch of the supernatural under the paradoxical doctrine of civil death. And that's what we're using here in this country where we, people are civilly dead. They're not citizens. They're not person. They are literally state property. Jamelia, did you get back yet? No. Okay. Well, yeah, All I'm right, here. Gregory. Yeah. I'm here. Sorry. I was uh I was waiting. Sam's gonna be calling in in a little bit, so hopefully oh, okay. I'll be able to uh patch him in to talk with you all. Uh so anything on that or or you were talking to Sam at that moment? No, no, no I was listening to you. Um, okay. you know, I'm I'm gonna have to piggyback on, on Kamal. Um I gotta apologize to you, Max, but I'm not tuning in on a more regular basis. This is um every time I hear you, um you know, the information that you all are sharing and disseminating with the public is, is something that's very important, right? Because you can't guide the people if you don't see the people. And so it's important for people to be able to get, get all of this knowledge and, and information and understanding, and especially coming from our own people, um, and empower them. And so I'm just enjoying sitting here and listening uh, listening to you all and always learning something new. But, you know, you got to be careful with me because – any given moment, you know, I get real volatile and like I'll be ready to fight. So. <laughs> well, we do what we got to do. Uh, you know, we know people need to understand. And so we provide a format where they can learn, uh, sometimes learn along with us because we don't know it all. And we research this every week piece at a time. So we understand more and more. I don't like to talk about things I don't know nothing about. It's just not in me. And so <laughs> whatever it may be, I, I do their work to try to understand it better. As a matter of fact, I want to break down a little bit of what uh, the history of civil death in the United States, and I'm going to use The Guardian's article to do it. Uh, there's an article from The Guardian. We'll share it on our page. And in it, they say, from the period of 1865 to 1880, following the Civil War, at least 13 of the United States, then 38 states, enacted broad criminal disenfranchisement laws in rapid succession. You see, immediately after the Civil War, and we already know who mm -hmm. was targeted and why. After the Civil War, the 1867 election marked the starting point of Southern states tailoring 
criminal disenfranchisement laws to block black voters. Several southern states expanded their definitions of felony to incorporate property offenses previously defined as misdemeanors. The Mississippi Pig Law of 1876, for example, broadened the definition of grand larceny from a theft of anything valued at more than $25 to a value of $10. Soon, with the rise of the Jim Crow era, black Americans' right to vote would be systemically denied through the use of poll taxes, grandfather clauses, property tests, intimidation, literacy tests, and an exception clause. And then they said from 1880 to 1900, civil death didn't only affect black Americans. Restrictions targeting immigrants, the poor, and the urban working class began to appear in the late 19th century, and almost all states with previously granted voting rights to immigrants repealed those provisions. Meanwhile, court cases continued to uphold this punishment. The Mississippi Constitution prohibited persons convicted of a particular petty offense from voting. Those convicted and disenfranchised were almost exclusively black, while crimes committed by whites, including rape and murder, did not result in disenfranchisement. The Mississippi Supreme Court defended this provision by asserting that race influences the type of offense to which one is prone. Let me say that again. That's what that Supreme Court said, that race influences the type of offense to which one is prone. That is the nice way of saying Negroes are just mm-hmm. criminals. <laughs> exactly. Right? We're going to move forward to the closer to the future where it says 1980 to 1985. There's a lot more to it. I'm just picking out these little parts of it that I want to share. So 1980 to 1985, through felony disenfranchisement, disproportionately burdened people of color, the criminality aspect of civil death made it difficult for these laws to be ruled discriminatory under the Voting Rights Act. One case, Hunter versus Underwood, however, did stand out. The Supreme Court ruled that while states have the right to disenfranchise criminals, the 14th Amendment did not protect provisions reflecting purposeful racial discrimination. The decision said Alabama's law disenfranchising those with misdemeanors on the grounds of moral turpitude was a violation of the law. So even the Supreme Court saw what they were doing on purpose, and in their own words, it was to create white superiority. Uh, Yusuf? Absolutely. And as always, the Supreme Court wouldn't do anything about it because of the Section 2 of the 13th Amendment where Congress has to act on it. And this is why we have the proposed 28th Amendment to finally remove the exception clause and abolish slavery. Now, I just wanted to backtrack a little bit because as you were reading about civil debt, there's something called the deprivation deprivation of uh, political rights, and this is something that exists within criminal law within the People's Republic of China, and they list under these uh, deprivation of rights the right to vote and to stand for election the right to freedom of speech, of the press, assembly, association, and process, or of procession and of demonstration, the right to build, the right to hold a position in state organization, the right to hold a leading position in any state-owned company, enterprise, institution, or people's organization. So we see that it falls right in line. So everyone talks about uh, China being a 
socialist republic and it deprives people of rights, well, we have this going right in line with exactly what they do here in America. Uh, also, I just wanted to mention with, with that track, uh, for those who wanted to know, that was, that was actually from uh, Malcolm X's speech, The Battle of the Bullet. And mm-hmm. we know, well, we even talk about Frederick Douglass's speech where he talks about the three cartridge boxes, the ballot box, the voting box, or the coffin. So it all ties in together. So it was a great job in bringing that in there as well, Max. Thank you. Uh, Sister Jamelia? She might still be trying to get uh, Sam to call in. For those that don't know, that is her husband and the other co-author of ACA3, the Abolition Act in California, which on uh, the 23rd is having their next hearing. I think they've only got one stage to go through, and it'll be on the ballot. So if we're lucky, we can get four states on the ballot instead of two in 2021, and then have about a dozen more in 2022. Uh, That's the type of momentum that we're trying to achieve here, and I believe we can get it done. Yeah, absolutely. I believe it's going to get done as well. Uh, Oh, and Sam is actually incarcerated at the moment in prison when he wrote ACA 3's Abolition Amendment and worked with uh, Sidney Kamlager, Senator Sidney Kamlager, in order to get this thing on the ballot, as we are doing right now. Uh, we also expect him to be one of our speakers at the ASNN anniversary uh, celebration on the 28th of August. All right, did we get her back yet? She did send me some information, uh, which actually includes me. They are putting together an anthology called Tales from the Plantation. Uh, And Tales from the Plantation is uh, poems, essays, artwork, uh, short stories that all are centered around modern-day slavery and human trafficking as we know it today through the 13th Amendment uh, of our Constitution. I've already submitted five poems, which they've accepted, (laughs) and tomorrow they're having a virtual uh, presentation, an early presentation, and I get to read one of them there. Uh, That is tomorrow, August 23rd, and it's at um, kind of a little bit of small writing here, so it's hard for me to read it. Join us for a virtual open house and toast with live readings, recordings from incarcerated artists about their works and music. Here from Jamelia Land, April Grayson, and Angelique Evans about the project in the California Abolition Act, ACA3. It's from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So 5 to 6.30 PST. We'll put it on our website so you'll have the link for the Zoom so you can check it out. All right, Yusuf. Uh, while we're waiting for Jamilia to get back on, I just wanted to give an update on the health conditions of Imam Jamil Alameen, formerly known as H. Rap Brown. Uh, we just confirmed, this is from the post for students for Imam Jamil. We have just confirmed that Imam Jamil has received cataract surgery in both eyes, and his eyesight is fully restored. He received his surgery on Wednesday, August 18th, just three days after the protest in Tucson, Arizona. All of your support is and sending emails and donating to his legal defense is working. Thank you to everyone who has supported this far. We couldn't have done it, done it without you. 
Until he's free, the work isn't over. The struggle continues. Continue supporting at freeimamjamil.com. If you've already completed the action items, ask your friends and family to hashtag free HRAP Brown, hashtag free Imam Jamil. Thank you. Um, no doubt. All right. Uh, one more try. Let me see if we got Jamilia with us yet. I'm here. I'm here. All right. My, my Boss, apologies. Do we have he's Sam here. as well? No, he's going to be calling back in, in just a few. Um, right. But I, I caught the tail end of uh, Tales from the Plantation. So I want to tell you that we are also, so tomorrow um, I will be joining a, a few of my sister warriors um, down in Los Angeles, and we are kicking off Tales from the Plantation from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the federal courthouse in Los Angeles. And we chose that location because a lot of people don't know that, one, slavery was and still is, in fact, legal in the state of California. But most importantly, the courthouse that we chose is actually sitting on land that was once a slave market in California. And so we thought it was only fitting to kick off Tales from the Plantation on, on that sacred land. Awesome. I'm looking forward to being a part of their virtual one uh, tomorrow as well. That's going to be hot. Uh, it was yeah, a great well, idea. I, I you, we're looking forward to having you come to California, Max. But, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to having you and Brother Yusuf come and uh, school the people, you know, because a lot, of, a lot of people don't know the hidden history of California. A lot of people think that we are this liberal you know, forward-moving mm-hmm. state, when in fact we were one vote away from becoming a slaveholding state, that the first governor of the state of California was in fact a slaveholder. Once he left his governorship, he then became a Supreme Court justice, even though he was not an attorney and had no legal background. Um, and one of the first cases uh, that he tried was Archie Lee. And Archie Lee was a man who had been brought here from the South by a slaveholder who had made a, a mass of tremendous amount of wealth for himself, uh, but due to slave, fugitive slave acts in California, his uh, once he started acquiring all that money, uh, well, you know how it works. White folks want to come in, confiscate the man's stuff, and return him to slavery. Um, you know, people don't know that San Francisco, we had newspapers there that were putting up articles for, you know, slaves for sale. If you were, you know, $300 for this young black girl, but if you were an abolitionist, you could come and buy her for $100 an hour before the auction starts, you know, and, and free her. Um, and all of these all of these interesting dynamics that have happened in California. And so I really look forward to you coming and bursting the people's mm. Well, you know, That's... California is also the home of Radio Man, uh, who was the first person that was sent to prison for life for California's three-strike laws. And he went to prison for stealing a car radio as his third strike. Now, you know, this law was put together after everybody went to that fear-mongering stage over the poly-class event and how an inmate that was released ended up killing this young white girl, I think 11 or 12 years old. But the first person they put in for life was some black guy who was homeless and stole a damn radio in California. Right. And, you know, going back to – Governor Burnett, uh, remember we covered a couple of weeks ago when we had uh, Jordan Schott on the program and we were talking about the lashings of those uh, free blacks who refused to leave Oregon. Well, it was actually called, yeah, it was actually called Burnett's Lash Law. 
It was named after the first governor of California, uh, Peter Burnett. Well, at this point, though, California looks like uh, they are on the right page with ACA 3. Um, So far, it has continued to pass unanimously through every committee. And we've got one coming up on Friday, uh, or on the 23rd, rather, the Day of Action. And I, I, I think that it's going to pass that committee as well. And you said that leaves one stage, Jamaica? Yes. So once we get through the assembly side, uh, so we've we've gone through public safety, now we're going through appropriations, and we'll go to the floor for a two-thirds vote, and then we go over to the Senate side. Uh, and what's unique about our situation, it's never been done before. I just found out is that when it was uh, when it was authored at the time, she was an assembly member, and then she transitioned during a special election, and now became a senator. So for the first time in history, we have a bill that's an assembly bill that was authored by an assembly member that is now being carried. On, on both sides of the house And so when it gets to the senate side Then she has much more power than she did When it was on the assembly side So it's, it's just really interesting to Yeah, yeah, see how this thing That's God's is, hand working stuff. right there <laughs> Yeah Because, you know, we keep making these this history Under the radar a lot, you That's know That's Over and over and over again Alright So I believe oh, we have one more clip Samuel Brown uh, first. Uh, we'll play the clip after is, he's is on. Is he available? Yeah, she just went to get him right now, so she'll probably be awesome. three-way awesome. him in. Uh, so Samuel Brown is an author, co-author of ACA3, currently incarcerated, and uh, he's also uh, an activist inside, as well as a brother with several degrees that he's gained. I believe he's been an uh, inmate for over two decades now, and he's about to get released. Uh, let's hope. I don't want to spill too many yeah, beans. One second. I'm trying to get him. One second. Also an excellent poet as well. Oh, yeah. Excellent poet. Spoken word artist. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, we're having some technical issues. He's going to be calling back here in, in just a few moments. So I'll be right back. Well, we, we didn't know what the circumstance is. He's not using a cell phone. He's using one of them old pay phones that's attached to the wall. With yeah, a security demanding yeah. money on, every here, time you on. pick it up. <laughs> Absolutely. So she has to go through the whole approval process, and they have that whole announcement. Custom calling features are not allowed, and all of that stuff. And then telling how much they're going to, you know, steal from her as the call goes on. The ex- it goes so far beyond just the felony death disenfranchisement. Uh, that's part of the oppression that we face every day. Uh, and have been facing now for centuries. Uh, But there's so many ways that they get you. Once they get you inside, they extort you, they extort your family, they make you pay these uh, over-inflated prices, they force you to work, they take what little money you do make, they take what little money your family sends in. Uh, It's just never-ending. You know, it's a freaking back. Hey, Sam, welcome to Abolition Today again. Welcome back to Abolition Today. Um, Peace, Max. Awesome, brother. Hey, uh, good hearing about, you again, brother Sam. We're doing awesome, man. Now that you're here, brother, you know. You. Um, Ooh. we were bragging about you oh. and the work uh, that you've been involved in, and as a co-author of ACA three and the success of that bill. Um, a few words you want to add to that? 
Oh, well, first and foremost, all glory be to the most high, to God, and um, and then to my wife, you know, for giving me this opportunity to, to be able to, to do this work with you brothers, man. And, yeah, I, uh, I'm very honored to even be a part of the movement with you all, you know. So I, I thank you for lifting me up and celebrating me, man, but I'm just a... I'm just a cog in the machine, and I'm and I'm grateful and honored to be a part of it. And and this is how we must function in order to bring about the change we all know we so desperately need. We have to work together from all works of, all all walks of life. So I'm just honored to do my part, brother Mac. Well, uh, you are doing your part in ending slavery in the state of California from inside of a slave plantation, while being subject to that duly convicted clause, which takes away both your citizenship and your rights. Uh, that is worth uh, talking about. And it sounds easy when you say it, you know what I mean? Because all you had to do was stand up and act. But there's so few who are willing to do that. And like we are in today where people suffer from mass psychosis, they need to see examples like you so they can go outside of that box. If I could jump in here real quick, Brother Max, um, yes. I'd like to also say with that comes a, a great expense. And as you know, we had the Juneteenth event uh, where Samuel was to call in and, and participate, and something something transpired. And if he would be okay with sharing some of that, um, you know, it's an example of the price that he's constantly paying. All right. I don't mind. Thank you for that, Amp. Right before I get into that, I want to respond to what you said, Max, and it makes me think about uh, Paulo Freire and the pedagogy of the oppressed. And in there, he discussed people who want to assist the oppressed, you know, that, that come from outside that community, and they tend to take the reins and act as if they know what's best for the people who are actually oppressed. And it's up to us to put forth the solutions and the remedies and do the work that we need to be done. Now, people who want to assist or help, by all means, we need allies because no man is an island. None of us are islands. You know, there's an a independent interdependence, independent interdependence by which we function. So none of us are islands. We're all connected to the shared humanity. Nevertheless, it is our responsibility to put forth the solutions to heal our community and our people. You know, like one of my mentors told me, when I got the 10 program um, approved in my, at the first prison in, in New Folsom, she said when they interviewed and asked her why she approved the program and I presented the proposal, she said because the change is most effective when it comes from the people who are in need of the change. And so mm. I always hold that near and dear to my heart, you know what I mean? And I feel that it's my, my duty and obligation. So even though I did say I was just playing my part, you, you highlight – something that's very important that people do need to understand. It's up to us to stand up. We cannot always just sit back and wait for the people from the outside to come and uh, assist us. And in regard, because, you know, we got to help people help us, basically. But first, got to help ourselves. And in regards to the, the expense that is paid, especially behind these walls, everyone's not a fan. Everyone's this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. This, this, this evil... This evil, which is called, you know, slavery, and and people benefit off it, is so deeply ingrained in the psyche, the psychosis that you were referring to, and some people see it as specifically just a way of life. You got people putting their kids through college, they're paying their mortgage and their house notes, and some of these people barely have like a high school diploma. They can't see doing anything else in order to survive, and 
having a, a role as an oppressor or an overseer on a plantation has given them opportunity to have retirement plans, to take vacations, you know what I mean, to live a life that they would otherwise not live because they don't possess a skill set or the knowledge base. And before they see that go away, they rather do any and everything that they can to maintain the status quo. And so I'm surrounded by a bunch of people who benefit from this. That's why they build these prisons in repressed areas. You, you really find any prisons in like an urban area or urban community because they know with the prison comes um, a business boom. And, and mm-hmm. it's the value of the neighborhood of the city. So they put these areas where you typically have um, like um, poor Caucasian communities or, or on a border. Uh, like California, you got a couple prisons on the border. But you don't find them in, in like the black areas where they boost our local economies and we, we get um, elevated federal grants and state grants. And so in here, doing this work, some people are opposed to it, and they look at me like I'm trying to threaten their livelihood. So on Juneteenth, you know, you have a lot of people with a deep-seated prejudice and, and hate and, and self-hatred. We had an event planned, you know, ASAP, um, the Abolish Slavery National Network, and we were celebrating Juneteenth, but also ACA3 and the work that we're doing. And I was scheduled to participate and kick off the call. And I showed the flyer to the officers and told them, hey, I got this call coming, man. And, and long story short, they never opened the door to let me out. The guy um, made a big old step out of it, man. They, they locked me in the cell, treated me poorly, wound up slamming me on the ground, putting his knee on my back, trying to break my arm. Got real disrespectful, told me happy Juneteenth. <laughs> you know, happy Juneteenth after they did all this. Um, made some charges up against me, gave me a resisting with use of force, and I'm like 40 days to the parole board, bro. I'm like, y'all do this to me, you're going to effectively kill me. I'm trying to get home before my mama died. That man said, I don't care. I don't care about none of that. You know, and it was three of them, and it was like white supremacy at, 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 at the fullest. So these are the type of um, repercussions that you can and will incur as a result of doing this work, but it's worked it. We cannot be deterred. I mean, because so many others that came before us and before myself have given their lives for us, so how am I going to lay down and not stand up? I don't know anything else to do. So yeah, it's, I can see people being deterred and scared, but they shouldn't be. That that should be reason to double down and stay the course. Thank you for your testimony, brother. I Thank remember you. the the emotion that was in Jamelia's voice when I spoke to her on that day where, like you said, they, it was, they were trying to kill you over some, some BS, right? Just because they, yeah. they, they, they're feeling themselves yeah. and their supremacy. Uh, we got another caller that called in, uh, and we've only got a little bit of time left, so I want to get one more person on the line. 4,600, you're here on Abolition Today. Uh, who's calling? Yeah, my name is Pianchi. You know, I heard the gentleman making mention of prisons being in, in uh, urban areas. Yes. Well, the day that don't want them there is actually well, the he, politicians in those areas. <clears throat> That's the ones that don't want the prisons in those cities. And they use the old terminology, not in my backyard. Being in the uh, in the St. Louis area, I built several prisons. I worked on seven prisons, but they was out state. And not in uh, the, the, and not in the area. Matter of fact, I mm-hmm. a place where it should have been an area it was the old Pruitt Igo spot, but they put something else there. 
they build them in rural communities a lot. It's how they put a lot of black people into white communities. And on the census, it says they got X number of minorities there when all their minorities are in prisons. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's what the, they allowed to count them when they're in another county. And the count don't go where they came from, which can be used for programs like a community development block grant fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You guys are trying to work to have it where uh, prisoners can get their right to vote back, and that's dependent on, on individual states. But to change the Constitution, or amend the Constitution, takes three-quarters of the total states in the United in the country, and that's very hard to come about. Yes, but, we, uh, we are familiar with that. We're almost at that point, though. Uh, we've already got over 30 states involved in the abolition movement organized, uh, and we, uh, as I said, we've got uh, 12 more states with legislation already on the table, in addition to the three that have abolished it and the two that are on the ballot right now. So it's happening. Yeah, well, those state constitutions, I'm talking about the U.S. Constitution. Let's see what happens. And yeah, we uh, have that work too, hard. We have a federal amendment, joint federal amendment, that's been introduced by mm-hmm. Representative Nikema Williams and Senator Merkley uh, of Oregon, uh, and they've already introduced it. We've got the support coming for it. I think uh, I don't want to quote a number of how many senators have signed on to it, but it's got quite a bit of co-sponsors now. And as we work with the individual states to get them to amend their constitutions, we're also building the necessary relationships so that we can get that three-quarters uh, vote. Yeah, that that's, that requires uh, the state legislature to ratify and then they take it to the federal government yes. for the senators if they right. choose. All right, anyway, you guys carry on. Good luck. Thank you very Thanks much for your call, man. We appreciate you. All right, back to Brother Sam. I know that you are on uh, literally borrowed time. So, uh, <laughs> we lost him. We lost him. We lost they, him? they literally shut the, phone, they shut the phone off on him. Did she, mm. you know, it ain't easy That's being how in we go. So <laughs> everything. I, for the from. listeners who... Yeah, for the listeners who missed our season finality, finality, uh, finale yeah, last year on uh, right November 22nd. All right. Okay. We just want to direct everyone to November 22nd, 2020, uh, season one, episode 37, where we had a full episode with Jamelia and Brother Sam on. So I encourage you all to go listen to that so you can hear about his 10P program and the other things that he's done uh, during his incarceration and the movements that they're making part of which we're discussing this evening. Max? Well, I think, I think what we'll do now is go ahead and cover this last clip that we have, uh, and that'll give Jamelia time to reconnect uh, again with Sam, and uh, sure. we'll get educated. <laughs> this is Senator Cory Booker speaking on the dangers of felony disenfranchisement, and that's going to be followed by Janae Ako with a song called Vote. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Uh, today, we're talking about voter disenfranchisement. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Today. I, what, what shocks people, what they don't understand, though, the biggest threat to African-American voting, and I think that just voting, period, right now, is felony disenfranchisement. And so here you have blacks in America are four times more likely to have lost their voting rights than whites because of previous conviction. Now think about this. 
and the overwhelmingly are increasing in, in incarceration, 800% increase in incarceration since 1980 at the federal level, 500% increase in incarceration rates. Um, um, this is how much our, our incarceration rates have mushroomed nationally, 500%. We now have 5% of the globe's population. One out of every four people on the planet Earth who's imprisoned is here in America, disproportionately poor, disproportionately minority. So get this. Blacks are about four times more likely to lose their voting rights. You have some states, Virginia, Florida, where one in five African Americans has lost their right to vote because of previous incarceration. And these happen to be two very key, important swing states right. in every national election. That's what I'm Virginia, saying. Virginia, Florida. Right. You so know. you take off the table all these African Americans. Some counties, by the way, it's upwards, in one, one, uh, it's upwards uh, of one in three African Americans. And so the, the one point I want to make is then you go to, well, well maybe this is just black people doing, doing crimes. Well, think about this for a second. There is no difference in America between blacks and whites for using drugs or selling drugs. In fact, young and Latinos, by the way, all of us Americans, one in ten Americans is going to break a drug law today. Uh, the last two presidents admitted to felonies of mm-hmm. uh, uh, breaking drug laws, okay? Um, and, and yet... White, young whites, by the way, have a, young white men have a little higher rates of dealing drugs than young black men. But yet African Americans will be almost four times more likely to be arrested for breaking those crimes than someone white. So just remember those two things I said. You're four times more likely to lose your voting rights and four times more likely almost to, 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 uh, to be arrested for drugs. So to me, this is a systematic undermining of, of what I think are, are sacred bedrock principles of citizenship. And if you do that, if you, if you persecute the drug war disproportionately against poor, disproportionately in minorities, you're disenfranchising them at greater rates. Uh, this is one of the more undemocratic uh, periods of American history where, where millions of Americans now are being stripped of their voting rights. So what can a U.S. senator do? Because most voting laws, quite candidly, are, are, are based on state. Uh, state action. What does it? What can the U.S. Senate well, do? Well, well, number one, that we're pushing for legislation to change this uh, on the federal level. So I can I can advocate for letter, legislation that preempts those uh, those state laws, um, and I can hopefully be a part of a movement. You know, what the old saying? I forget one of the great activists that said, "The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off." Um, I think a lot of people need to be angry. Uh, and understand what's happening in America with this drug war, which is not a war on drugs, it's a war on people, and not all people, disproportionately poor people, disproportionately mentally ill, mentally Ill people, disproportionately transgender people, disproportionately you know, minorities. And it's ironic. Yeah, I just want to focus on my vote. I ain't got no time, I gotta work. Yeah, rent is coming up, I need this cash. I got a couple terminations in my past, yeah. Gotta ask my pastor for a day off But if I do, I know I might get laid off I just wanna focus on my goal I just wanna focus on my goal, yeah Cause now I'm open up But I ain't on so many things was gonna hold me up Wanted to rock the vote When I was growing up Now they hit the re-rock Now they slow me up I just wanna get to the ballot I just wanna feel like I'm valid Put in my vote, I can have it
focus on my goals. I just wanna focus on my goals. I just wanna focus on my goals. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Today. Abolition. 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 That was Senator Cory Booker speaking on the danger of felony disenfranchisement, and that was followed by Janae Echo, a song called Vote. Uh, just checking to see if we have Jamelia and Sam back on the line. Okay, so it looks like we don't have the max. He, he pointed out... Uh, Senator Booker pointed out some pretty powerful stats that, you know, we're already aware of, but I wish other people would absorb and understand the implications of that. You know, uh, we don't have the type of numbers that the majority has. We we don't have that. There's only 47 million people, black people or African-American descent in this country, only 47 million of them, and half of them are children, <laughs> you know? So that leaves 23 million or so people, and half of those are men and half of those are women. So it's 12 million of each, and you got a million of the men in the prisons. You got another couple million in the jails. You got another few million on probation and parole. Then you got another seven or eight million who can't vote. Do you see the problem here? It's not 250 million of us. There's only 47 million. You see? Hey, you're really hitting it. And before we go off the air, I just want uh, to tell you that we have a new fan in the program, and it's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> she's well, been texting me throughout class. the show, and she's just really loving, especially the last track that we just had on with uh, Senator Booker and the song Vote. She really enjoyed that. So shout out to you, Mom. Shout out to Mom. That's the best fan you could possibly have. Uh, oh, absolutely. Re- absolutely. You know, I- when I'm gone from this world, if my wife and kids and family remember me, that'd be for me success. <laughs> you know what I mean? That'd be a success. But anyway, man, yeah, there was some very powerful statements that Cory Booker made in there saying, you know, uh, one in five black men in places like, uh, you know, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama can't vote. Uh, some counties, it's one in three. And I bet you if you go to places like Milwaukee County, it's probably one in two or more than one in two who can't vote. Right. You're talking about more than 50% of the men, black men in the freaking county can't vote. And this is all stemming from the 13th Amendment and how it used civil death as a weapon in order to uh, suppress the African-American political power it's really or any minority's political power so that they can dominate all aspects of government like they dominate all aspects of everything else i'm still waiting to see a black governor's ball i want to see that before i die <laughs> and it's and it's great you know i also want to uh shout out lebron james he gets a lot of hate because you know that's just what people do in sports but when it comes to his political activism you know i think of his organization that he started with other other athletes called more than a vote and how when they first were going to uh, allow voting after incarceration in Florida, then they, DeSantis went along and said, well, they got to pay off all their fines first. And then LeBron's organization went and they started paying off all of these fines for people so they can have the ability to vote. So that just shows 
that there are those out there that take this very seriously because as Jamelia was speaking about earlier, on the on the local level, there's so much that goes on that we don't get involved in when it's talking about school board that determines the curriculum that's taught in school, that's taught uh, that determines how much school taxes you pay. Then it comes to just something as simple as whether or not you have a stop sign or a speed bump on your block or a traffic light, your property taxes, who's the who's going to be the sheriff, who's going to be the judges. See, all of these things matter in your voting. So when you say, well, my vote doesn't count, or what is voting going to do? Well, it's going to affect your, your life every single day. So that's why it's important to vote, and that's why we talk about uh, – felony disenfranchisement and how all these tricks are being done to take that right to vote away from us because we know that they can uh, suspend your license for unpaid fines and you can become incarcerated for unpaid fines. And the minute you go in, you know, you no longer have your right to vote. So that's why it's important. You know, I don't trust the government any further. I can throw it. And, uh, the cesspool that we call politics is something I had never wanted to touch in my life, and I still am not feeling it in any way, shape, or form. But I have an opportunity here, along with the rest of this generation, to be great. Every now and then, a generation gets called on, and they get an opportunity to be great. And we can be great in this generation simply by ending slavery something even our ancestors was not able to accomplish. And the window of opportunity is here, and it's now. And if you think that is just some kind of a symbol, some, uh, symbology, or it, it, it has no meat to it, you couldn't be any further from the truth. Imagine it like this. It's a, it's a doorway that has never been opened before with an entire universe behind it. And if we open that door, it's going to – how did that uh, Louisiana senator say it? Uh, it's going to open up a can of worms, right? It's gonna and open that's up what a we're trying to do. Because yeah, we want these to... worms crawling all over the place. Yep. They've been practicing legalized, constitutionally codified slavery since 1865 in this fashion. And the new part of it now is, of course, warehousing bodies. So, yes, this will create opportunities that have never existed before. We won't have to worry about uh, if we sue like Colorado has done for slave labor because they're getting paid 10 cents an hour to work like dogs with no rights and no benefits. If we sue, the court can't say it says it right here in the 13th Amendment, uh, involuntary servitude, so case dismissed. <laughs> you know, exactly. that's got to be the end of that. And now you've got to so justify Max, why you're using hard. slavery. I was going to say oh, we're up yeah, against yeah. our hard stop. So I just want to get in our closing comments, our sponsors and partners, uh, Jailhouse right. Lawyer Speak, the hey, IOE, hey, Ubuntu Prison that, Advocacy Network. Mm-hmm. You, before we do that, I think we got Jamelia back on. Let's just get a few closing words from her. Jamelia, you there? Oh, absolutely. All right, 4711. Who is that? That's Jamelia. You might be that was our hand up from earlier. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, sorry about that. So, uh, yeah, thank you for our callers today uh, for joining us and for you for listening and you, brothers, for being here with me. Uh, peace. We'll be live on location in California next week when you hear us again. You, well, thank you for that, Max. Uh, 
Again, we thank our, our sponsors, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IME Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SAMA Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash abolition today, for the page for all information, news, and music you hear on this program. Uh, also, remember to tune into all major podcast platforms with simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Also, remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us and intheexception.com to become part of the solution. Don't forget about the Shut em Down 2021 movement. Our final segment in Bridging the Gap, Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass, The Vote. This was a PBS special, and that will be followed by the song Scared of Us by K.O.T.I., Joyner Lucas, P.D.B. Gray, P.B.D. Gray, and Jay Morris. We'll be back next Sunday, August 29th. God willing, broadcasting live from Sacramento, California, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. The first state in what came to be known as the suffrage column was Wyoming, which joined the Union in 1890 with its women already fully enfranchised. It was followed over the next six years by three more Western states. Then the forward march stalled. By the late 19th century, in white, middle-class and upper-class American society, there was a shrinking faith in democracy. In the North, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, democracy is not an unalloyed blessing. We have all of these immigrants coming in. They don't speak English. They're not very smart. I don't think we should let them vote. In the South, of course, politicians were busy disenfranchising African-Americans who had been enfranchised during Reconstruction. The 15th Amendment didn't say people have the right to vote regardless of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. It said states can't deny people the right to vote. And southern states realized, well, they wouldn't deny the right to vote by race. They deny it if your grandfather was a slave. That's not specified in the 15th Amendment. So the dominant movement is to take voting rights away from people, and that is something which the women's suffrage movement runs up against at the end of the century. As states across the South move to bar black men from voting by means of grandfather clauses, literacy tests, poll taxes, and brute force, the National Association with Susan B. Anthony's Ascent adapted to the prevailing mood. African-American women who had been prominent in the movement were sidelined, and Southern chapters permitted to refuse black members. In 1894, Anthony even went so far as to ask Frederick Douglass to keep away from a suffrage convention in Atlanta for fear of alienating potential supporters. Frederick Douglass is the one who stands up and says to women who are ambivalent about calling for the vote, well, you must work for suffrage. So to, to say to him that he's not welcome, 
uh, in the South and Atlanta is, uh, is a terrible thing. And Anthony probably actually believed that, as she said. When we get the vote, when white women get the vote, we'll make everything okay for everybody. But it certainly encouraged the continuing segregation and discrimination. African-American women are going to continue to work toward women's rights. They're interested in the vote. But they are also using those ideas to transform and control their institutions in churches, in fraternal orders, in benevolent societies. They're going to build, by the 1890s, an African-American women's club movement. And within that, they are also going to be claiming women's rights in their own terms. These are sisters who are divided because of racism and because of white supremacy, and they're asking each other to concede on the issue of rights. And it will impact every single attempt to bring women broadly together in action for better society. Back up, top double up. No project with the keepers in the 
hood In other words, trying to cover it up Not exposed to what we could have Got me irate, man, and I hate How the knowledge that we lack Got us taken back to a slave-driven mind state Willie Lynch is encrypted from The playbook that is scripted from Brother Sayo died for a neighborhood That his mama just got evicted from Another name is the cop's name Better lay low when it's close to dark They bust at me, through the cuffs at me I boycotted the bus like I was Rosa Parks You say you wouldn't join the military But you trapping hard, so you might as well Another agent for the government When you in the hood serving clientele Think about it, we in the hood trapping and loving it The same way I'm to represent the government Social supply with the government to train it The same way we all with the government slang it Gotta wake up, it's time people Everybody get in line people Cause this system play this You can't see it like I'm in a world full of blind people They scared of us, they scared of us They scared of us Got another shot fire They scared of us, they scared of us They scared of us Back when I used to play Simon Says, I never listened to a thing my mama said. What I think for myself, do I pretend? Do I want to be rich? Well, it depends. I mean, I can be rich like Hov and Puff. I can be rich like Warren Buff. I can flip bricks and all them drugs. That's more trouble for all of us. Sometimes I be thinking hard too much. Like, what if Triple X is hard to touch? What if Rose never called the bus? What if more parents was hard enough? And look, what if Kaepernick was an all black? And what if Trayvon and Zimmerman never crossed paths? What if Malcolm may have a dark past? What if... What if... What if Sean Bell never got engaged? What if Donald Trump never got his way? What if Dr. King I have a lot to say? Make way for penalties. Yeah. AKA they're killing me. Yeah. The KKK got denim sheets. Yeah. Niggas can't even nail and peace. Yeah. Niggas can't wait to get at me. Yeah. Niggas can't wait to finish me. No dirt on my name is fitted me. They shoot me and stay in finicky. I gotta pray for my enemies. Pyramids, we were through, they drew up a scheme The wipers are clean, they seen all that greatness and never recoup Condition our minds to believe that we left the human With a book to recite to the youth Manipulation got us tight in the news Every day we see it right in the news Blasphemy to still blasphemy If I smash your sneaks and be a casualty But won't flash the heat When the crackers beat your black ass asleep You wanna ask for peace and then crash the streets Strapped with the gasoline Burn the shit down to an ash lead Protest backwards if you're asking me But when the party's over and your ass will leave You can't still kill a nigga before the night's done Care less if they shot the right one We did record and let the lights run, all the images we seeing, they got it in sight, son. Why you stuck on the ground with all the nice guns? Pull up with the shit, you got the light one. All these oppressors got the strike one. What we gonna do? Fight or run our mouth, nigga. No justice, no peace on these streets. Can you hear the babies crying? You're welcome. Abolition. 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 Abolition.